believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And uh, I know that I'm saved and I know that I know that I'm saved. Amen? If that makes sense. Well, I've been, uh, last night I wrote, uh, I read a little bit out of this book on the 59 Revival. And I want to read another portion of it tonight before the message. And uh, th this, this revival began in the most unexpected way. And it seems like that is a common theme. Revivals don't begin with big crusades. Many, many times they begin with little old ladies. And the revival of 59 in Ulster, Ireland began as a result of a little lady named Mrs. Colville. She was an English lady. And this lady had a remarkable testimony. She had been religious, but unregenerate. Then one day, the grace of God visited her, bringing salvation to her heart. She immediately testified of the great things God had done for her soul. Her relations were very angry and said that she had gone mad. <laughs> so embittered did they become that she had to leave her home and become a wanderer. And she would <clears throat> go around just telling people about the Lord. It says here that her work brought her to Ulster and to County Antrim, where she went from door to door, telling forth the message which had brought such peace to her heart. And uh, she visited the this one home, there's a young woman there who is dying. And the girl's companions were gathered around her. And she was giving this young lady the gospel and those that were standing around. Her words were overheard by a young man named James McQuilkin. And the barbed arrows from his, uh, from his bow, drawn at a venture, fastened with a mighty pricking upon his conscience. That's the Lord's words, amen? He became uh, concerned about his soul, and after much time, he got saved. Then from James McQuilkin, three other young men, acquaintances of his, were saved. All of them religious, but lost. They got saved, and they began a prayer meeting one of the young men who was saved was a man by the name of Robert Carlyle. And Robert Carlyle was a teacher at the school in Antrim. And they began meeting on Friday evenings to pray. And uh, they, they started praying in September of 1857. During the long winter of 57-58, every Friday evening, these young men gathered an armful uh, of Pete each, and taking their Bibles, made their way to the old schoolhouse. There they read and meditated upon the scriptures of truth, and with hearts aflame with a pure first love, poured out their prayers to the God of heaven. 
The peats made a fire in the schoolhouse grate and warmed their bodies from the winter's chill, but their prayers brought down unquenchable fire from heaven, which set, a, uh, set all Ulster ablaze for God and warmed with saving rays at least 100,000 souls. These young converts were convinced of three great fundamentals, and upon these their prayer and fellowship meeting was based. They believed in the sovereignty of the Holy Spirit. They believed in the sufficiency of the Holy Scriptures. And they believed in the secret of the Holy Supplication. And these three great truths not only characterized the Kells prayer meeting, but the whole subsequent revival movement. These young men believed that God would send a revival, and they prayed. And it all started with a little old lady whose faith to her meant even more than hearth and home. And uh, <clears throat> God sent a great revival. I believe we still serve the same God of the 59 revival. And we may look around and think, well, you know, this uh, revival meeting, we expected more people to come, or we expected this to happen or that to happen. Uh, God can save by many or by few. And most revivals we read about, were, they, they started in the heart of one or two individuals that got serious about God. And revival came about as a result of a deep fellowship with God. It's not a magic potion. It's not just a lightning bolt from heaven that surprises us. It's when someone gets a heart for God and decides that their desire for fellowship with God is greater than anything else in their lives. I want to get there. Now look, look with me. We're going to be in, in Leviticus 23 to start tonight. And I sure have enjoyed our time in this book. And uh, I wish we had more time together to spend in this book. But hopefully it's given you a taste and a hunger <clears throat> for this book of Leviticus. Now last night we looked at the offerings and tonight I want to look at the feasts and we're not really going to spend, we're going to give an overview of all the feasts, and then we're going to look at one feast in particular. The feast that I believe bears the most uh, import upon what we've been studying this week in fellowship with God. And so we're going to start, we're going to read verse 1, read a few verses here, and then we'll jump uh, to the end of the chapter and read about the last feast. Leviticus 23, if you found your place, I invite you to stand with me. Let me say this as we're getting ready to read. Thank you, Fellowship Baptist Church, for your kindness to us. Uh, thank you for the good place to stay. And uh, we're excited. We, get, we got to go camping this week, amen? And uh, the kids were excited just like we don't camp all the time, amen? Um, We've enjoyed the, the place there. It's been very comfortable, very nice. 
Thank you for all the food, the good meals, the fellowship, and uh, thank you for your prayers and your support for us. We don't take that lightly. We greatly appreciate it. I appreciate your pastor and his friendship, and uh, thankful for the opportunity to be here again. And uh, thank you for the visitors who have come. We have even have some tonight, so thank you for being here. Leviticus 23, look at verse number 1. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, Concerning the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, that word just simply means assembly, even these are my feasts. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of rest and holy convocation. Ye shall do no work therein, it is the Sabbath of the Lord in all your dwellings. These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations, which ye shall proclaim in their seasons. In the fourteenth day of the first month, at even, is the Lord's Passover. And on the fifteenth day of the same month is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So there's the first two feasts mentioned. Feast of the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Down in verse 10, it mentions uh, the first fruits of your harvest. This is the feast of the first fruits. Then in verse 16, it says, Even unto the morrow, after the seventh Sabbath, shall ye number fifty days, and ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. This is the feast of Pentecost. Penta means fifty. So, fifty days, the feast of Pentecost. Then in verse 24, look with me there. Speaking of the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, in the first day of the month, shall ye have a Sabbath, a memorial of blowing of trumpets and holy convocation. This is the, the fifth uh, feast, and it's the feast of trumpets, we call it. Look at verse 27. Also on the tenth day of this seventh month, there shall be a day of atonement. And we talked about a little bit about that. Uh, from Leviticus chapter 16, so the feast or the day of atonement. And then look at verse 34, and this is the one we'll focus in on tonight. Speak unto the children of Israel, saying, The fifteenth day of the seventh month shall be the feast of tabernacles for seven days unto the Lord. On the first day shall be an holy convocation. Ye shall do no servile work therein. Seven days ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. On the eighth day shall be an holy convocation unto you, and ye shall offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord. It is a solemn assembly, and ye shall do no servile work therein. These are the feasts of the Lord, which ye shall proclaim to be holy convocations, to offer an offering made by fire unto the Lord, a burnt offering and a meat offering, a sacrifice and drink offerings, everything upon his day. Beside the Sabbaths of the Lord, and beside your gifts, and beside all your vows, and beside all your freewill offerings, which ye give unto the Lord. Also, in the fifteenth day of the seventh month, when ye have gathered in the fruit of the land, ye shall keep a feast unto the Lord seven days. On the first day shall be a Sabbath, on the eighth day shall be a Sabbath, and ye shall take you on the first day the boughs of goodly trees, branches of palm trees, and boughs of thick trees, and willows of the brook, and ye shall rejoice before the Lord your God seven days. And ye shall keep it a feast unto the Lord seven days in the year, 
It shall be a, a statute forever in your generations. Ye shall celebrate it in the seventh month. Ye shall dwell in booths seven days. All that are Israelites born shall dwell in booths, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel to dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. And Moses declared unto the children of Israel the feasts of the Lord. We're going to look briefly at these seven feasts and then focus in on this last feast, the Feast of Tabernacles. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the day you've given us. Thank you, God, for your grace upon us. Thank you, Lord, for health and safety and strength. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving your word. Lord, we know that every word of God is pure. We know that every word of God is profitable. You've preserved it all for us because we need to be instructed by it. And God, we thank you for the precious treasure that your word is. Help us, Lord, to truly cherish your word and to, to read it and to heed it and to take it to heart and to live it, to love it, dear God. Lord, we understand that the reason why we ought to love this book is because this is how we get to know you. Lord, I pray that you draw us near to you, Lord, through the scriptures tonight. Lord, help us to see you high and lifted up. May we worship you truly from our hearts and may praise be on our lips to you for all that you've done. God, I pray that we would have a deeper and more meaningful relationship with you as a result of our time in your word tonight. We'll thank you and praise you for it all. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for standing. You may be seated. The seven feasts that the Lord gives were uh, significant, not just for the children of Israel in this day, but they, uh, they carried significance throughout the history of the nation of Israel. Uh, they, they will, and if we had the time tonight, we'd lay out how the seven feasts really uh, tell the history of Israel from the time of their uh, deliverance from Egyptian bondage, feast of the Passover, to the time that God is going to establish them in the kingdom. It's a, it's a fascinating study and one uh, I believe that, that we do well to get into. But also, not only does the, the, the feast outline the, the history of the nation of Israel, but the feast also give us a timeline of the work of Christ. And we understand that uh, these things that were written aforetime were written for our instruction, for our learning. And they were written and given to us as pictures of the Lord Jesus. We've made mention already that the tabernacle is all about Christ and the priesthood is all about Christ. The offerings is all about Christ. Everything in this book points us to one person and that person is the Lord Jesus Christ. As you look at these feasts, you see the work of Christ. We understand the Passover is very, very, I think, very uh, uh, obvious to us. The work of Christ at the Passover, He is the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. When they, uh, when they observed that first Passover that, uh, that delivered them, that was the means of their delivering from Egypt into, uh, from, from that uh, place of bondage into a place of God's provision and God's salvation. 
We understand when that blood that was put on the doorpost and on the lintel, that it pictured the blood that Jesus Christ would shed for us to take away the sins of the world, to give us the gift of redemption and deliverance from Egyptian bondage. The crucifixion of Christ is seen in the Passover. As a matter of fact, Jesus was crucified on the feast of the Passover day. That's one of the reasons why the high priest and the priest would not go uh, to where Jesus was because uh, they, they uh, <clears throat> did not want to defile themselves for the Passover. And so uh, what's interesting is the fact that the Passover lamb was right before them. They looked at the lamb of God as defilement and uh, as a curse. But the fact of the matter was he was taking that curse, their curse, our curse upon himself. And he was purchasing our redemption through his blood. So the Passover uh, pictures for us the work of Christ on the cross. And then the next thing is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And uh, uh, Jesus was placed in that tomb the day following his death. And, uh, and he was there for three days and three nights. And we understand that uh, Jesus, when he, uh, the, the night before he died, he observed Passover with his disciples, and he handed them the bread, and he said, take, eat, this is my body. One of the things that I found that was so interesting to me as I was studying today is uh, when they would take that piece of bread, and uh, the Jewish, even the Jewish custom today, when they observe the Passover, they will take that piece of bread and they will break that piece of bread into three parts. And the second part of that bread, they will wrap in linen. And then they will break that piece in that linen and distribute to the family to partake of. And we know that God is in three parts. He's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And now three parts, that second part, the Son of God... His body was broken for us. He was wrapped in linen and, and, and a picture of his burial. And all who will partake of him will have eternal life. Amen? And uh, it's interesting to me, the bread that they use still to this day that the Jews will use for the Passover, it has stripes and it has holes in it. Stripes and piercings. And that bread was broken as Christ's body was broken. And by his stripes we are healed. Amen. He was wounded for our transgressions. But he was buried. He was wrapped in linen. He was laid in a grave. And the, and the feast of unleavened bread pictures for us the burial of Christ. And then the next feast is the feast of first fruits. And you probably know what that's about too, don't you? Now that we're following the timeline of Christ, we understand that this pictures the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 tells us that Christ is the first fruits of the resurrection. And because he rose again, we understand all those who believe in Christ, we will rise again one day, we'll be resurrected, we'll be given a new body like unto his, and we'll have everlasting life. Amen? And so this is the feast of the first fruits. And then the feast of Pentecost. Uh, we understand what took place at Pentecost with the filling of the Spirit of God. And, uh, and this, of course, pictures uh, what took place 
There, how that the Spirit of God came and filled the believers, and the church was born. And so, uh, these are the first four uh, feasts that are mentioned here. Now, if you look, uh, if you're paying attention when reading the, the text, you'll find that the first four uh, uh, feasts are all in a group. They all take place in the springtime uh, on the Jewish calendar. And, uh, and then there's this gap. And the last three feasts take place in the fall. And so the first four, four feasts, they picture for us the work of Christ when he was here on earth, his first coming. He, he died, he was buried, he rose again, and he ascended and sent back the Spirit of God. Amen? And then there's this gap. You know what? We're in the gap right now. So you believe in the gap? Yeah, we're right in it, right here. Amen? This, uh, this time between Christ's first coming and his second coming. And he is coming back just as sure as he went out, he's coming back. Amen? And, uh, and these last three uh, feasts talk about Christ's second coming. It begins with the Feast of Trumpets. Does that ring a bell? Amen? The Feast of Trumpets. Listen, we're told in 1 Thessalonians 4 that there's going to be a trumpet blast and the dead in Christ will rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. The Lord is coming back. The trumpet's going to sound and we're getting out of here. Amen? I believe that with all my heart. The Bible teaches that. We call it the rapture. People say, well, the word rapture is not in the Bible, so we shouldn't use the word rapture. Okay, we'll call it the catching away. Amen? By the way, Trinity is not in the Bible either, but I, I think it's a good word. The catching away of the believers uh, when we're called out, and uh, we read about that in 1 Corinthians 15 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. That was the next uh, event and, uh, on, on the, the Jewish calendar after that time, that space, in between. And uh, that's the next event on God's calendar. On our calendar right now. The next thing is going to, the next major event that's going to take place and the, the, uh, the uh, direct work of Christ on this earth is when he calls us out. The Feast of the Trumpets. And then there's the Day of Atonement. And there's connection here between uh, uh, the, the Day of Atonement and Christ's second coming when he comes all the way back to earth. Now listen, when he blows that trumpet, Jesus is not coming all the way back to earth when that takes place. He's not coming down, he's calling us up. And a lot of people, they get mixed up on, uh, on the, uh, the, the rapture of the church and the second coming of Christ. And uh, they're not the same thing. The rapture of the church, he's going to call us to be with him in the air. When he comes back again, he's coming all the way back down to this earth. And he's going to stand, and he's going to set his feet upon the Mount of Olives, and that place is going to split, amen? And every high mountain will be brought low, and all the valleys will be brought up. He's going to level the playing field, amen? There's going to be one mountain, and it's going to be the Mount of God. He's going to set up his throne upon that mountain, and he is going to rule and reign on this earth for a thousand years. 
And that's what brings us to the Feast of Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles show us when God sets up His kingdom. And I want us to, to look on this for a little bit. And now maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, how, do, how can the kingdom, uh, preaching a message on the millennial kingdom, how can that bring revival to our hearts? Well, number one, it's truth. Amen? It's the Word of God. It'll help us. But I believe there's some practical truth in this prophetic truth that will help us. You say, what is the, what is the millennial kingdom all about? Well, is it about God coming back and straightening out the wrongs? Sure. Is it about Him coming back and reversing the curse? Yes. But it's more than that. See, what God's going to do when God comes back and He, basically what He's going to do, He's going to turn back the clock. He's going to restore this earth to the way it was when He first made it. Now, when we think about how, how, how it was when God made it, how did God make the world? What was the design of the world? What was the purpose of the ones He created? We've been talking about it all week. What is it? Fellowship. And interesting, we're at Fellowship Baptist Church. We've been preaching on fellowship all week. I just, maybe that occurred to you a long time. It just occurred to me right now. I'm a little slow. But I'm, I catch up after a while. Fellowship. God created us to fellowship with us. And when he comes back and he sets up his kingdom and he lifts the curse, removes the curse from this world, he wants to bring it right back to where it was at the beginning because he wants to fulfill what we lost. And that is fellowship with man. And the whole idea of the kingdom is fellowship. Now, you say, well, I'm not sure about that preacher. Well, let's look at the Word of God, okay? Um, I want you to turn with me to, let me see if I get my, get my notes right here. I had so many, I was jotting down stuff all over the place, so try to get it all straightened out. Look with me in, uh, in, in John chapter 7. In John chapter 7. Now, when you study your Bible and you look at, uh, when, you're, when you're running a theme throughout the Word of God, you really need to follow it all the way through. And there's no way we could go to every reference uh, concerning the, uh, the Feast of Tabernacles tonight. But I want us to get us enough, get enough so that we understand uh, what the Lord is trying to tell us at this, at, in this, for this service on this topic. The Feast of Tabernacles, as, as we read about it, and I really didn't explain a whole lot about it, but let me just say this. The Feast of Tabernacles was set aside. It was at the time of harvest. They were to bring in uh, all that they had. And it was a time of joy. It was a time of great joy. If you noticed in our text in Leviticus 23, he talks about you'll rejoice before the Lord seven days. And, uh, and so it's a time of great joy. Um, it, was a, it was a time of, of a temporary living quarters. He talks about a booth. Build a booth and live in that booth for seven days. 
they would rejoice. It was a time of sacrifice. We didn't read about this, but if you read in Numbers chapter 29, um, there's, a, there's a whole list of sacrifices that were to be uh, given during this Feast of Tabernacles. And on every day, they had a list of animals that were to be offered to the Lord. And it wasn't the same every day. Uh, you, had to, you had to pay attention, amen? And in Numbers 29, it tells us that. It was a time of sacrifice. But it also, in, the, in this time of rejoicing, uh, there were a couple of ceremonies that would take place during this feast. A couple of ceremonies. One is, uh, is what, what is called the pouring out of, of water. The pouring out of water. And, and this is what I'm told as I was studying this. They, they, uh, they said, in this ceremony, the priest marched from the Temple Mount down the Kindred Va Kidred, Kidron Valley to the Pool of Siloam, where pitchers were filled with water. Then the priest would march back up to the Temple Mount singing the Psalms of Ascent, or the Psalms of Degrees, that we call them. And you see them about... To, well, Psalm 120 to about 134 are the songs of degrees, the psalms of degrees. They'd be singing these psalms as they went up to the temple mount with this water. And they ascended the 15 steps. There was 15 steps going up from the temple compound up to the temple, and there's 15 psalms. And so they'd take a step, and they'd sing a psalm. And then they'd take another step and sing another psalm. And that's a wonderful study of those songs of degrees. Uh, but they would sing these. Then when they got to the, the, the top, they would pour out the water into a large laver in, uh, in, in the temple. And then this was followed by great rejoicing. It said, the Jewish rabbi said, he who has not seen the rejoicing at the pouring out of the water hath not seen rejoicing in all his life. That's what, that's what uh, they said. This was the time, this was the greatest time of rejoicing uh, that they observed in the year. They would pour this water out, it would run down the steps, and the, the, uh, the rabbis interpreted the pouring out of water as a symbol of the outpouring of the Holy Spirit upon the whole nation of Israel in the last days. So they walk up those steps, they take that water, and they'd pour that out, they pour it into labor, and it'd go down the, the steps of the temple, and they would rejoice because they would think about the fact that the Spirit of God one day is going to be poured out upon the whole nation. You know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like fellowship to me. They're saying the Spirit of God is going to rest upon us. And uh, they, would, uh, they would sing these songs. Now, the other ceremony was called the Festival of Lights that would take place in the Feast of Tabernacles. And uh, this, this uh, Festival of Lights, they would have these huge golden lampstands set up in the temple, and each of them was lit at sundown. They would light these golden uh, uh, lampstands. And... Uh, 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 the writer here says that they had four enormous golden candlesticks that were set up on the court, 50 cubits high, with four golden bowls placed upon them and four ladders resting against each candlesticks. Four youth, 
uh, youths of priestly descent, descent stood at the top of the ladders holding jars containing about seven and a half gallons of pure oil, which they poured for each bowl to keep the lights going, the lamps going. The priests and Levites used their own worn out uh, clothing for wicks. And the light emanating from the four uh, candelabras was so bright that there was no courtyard. They said, uh, one, one account says there was no courtyard in Jerusalem that was not lit up with the light from the ceremony. So when they, they had this festival of lights, they had these, these lights uh, shining and there was uh, the, the, uh, the, the constant pouring of the oil to keep that light shining bright and it lit up the entire city. And uh, you know what it makes me think of? It makes me think of uh, 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 Matthew chapter 5. A city that is on a hill cannot be hit, hid. Let your light shine. Jerusalem was up on a hill. When Jesus is telling them to let your light shine for God, they knew what he was talking about. He was talking about a city on a hill. The light can't be hid. He said, let your light shine like that. And so it was, uh, this light was, a, was symbolic of God's light uh, that he had given them. Now, when I think about this, and I, I want us to look here in John chapter 7, Look at John chapter 7. I hope I, this is not boring you. But it's helping me. Look at John 7. Every word is important in the word of God. Every word. Now look at verse number 37. He says, in the last day. Now when you see that phrase, the last day. You better pay attention. Because he's not just talking about this day in which this occurrence took place. He's talking about something prophetic. He's talking about something down the road. When he talks about the last day or the last days, listen up. He's going to tell you something about what's going to take place. He said in the last day, that great day of the feast. What feast? The Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive, for the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. Now listen, Jesus, he didn't just come up with this all of a sudden. He had this planned when the Feast of Tabernacles took place, and they carried that water up, and they were singing about the blessing of God and the pouring out of God's Spirit on them that's going to take place in the last day. Jesus stood at the top of that temple, and as the water poured down, he said, listen... If any man thirst, let him come unto me. I'll give him living water, rivers of water that will flow out of his belly. And they're all standing there. They're thinking about that last day that's to come. And Jesus said, listen, you can have it today. 
Yes, the nation, the nation that has refused God, they are yet to experience this on a national level. But you and I can experience it on a personal level. And he explains that this, these rivers of living water is the Spirit of God given to us. This Feast of Tabernacles and this ceremony of the outpouring of, of, of the Lord, uh, of the Spirit of God, this outpouring of water, shows us what Christ really is desiring. Remember, we're talking about the Feast of Tabernacles. We're talking about the last thing on God's calendar. We're talking about how it's all going to end up. And you know how it all ends up? God says, I want you to have fellowship with me. That's what he wants. Now, look at, uh, look at uh, Isaiah chapter 12. Let's go there first. Look at Isaiah chapter 12. Jesus tells them, I have water that I can give you that will be a well of water in you, springing up into everlasting life. Now in Isaiah chapter 12, this is a passage that they would have been well familiar with. This would be a prophecy That would be dear to them because it's a prophecy about the kingdom. We, we know what the Jews were looking for, what they've always been looking for, the kingdom. Remember, remember the disciples, wilt thou at this time restore unto us the kingdom? And so they were well familiar with this passage. Isaiah 12, look what it says. And in that day, what day? The kingdom day. The Feast of Tabernacles day. And in that day thou shalt say, O Lord, I will praise thee. Though thou wast angry with me, thine anger is turned away, and thou comfortest me. Sounds like relationship. Sounds like fellowship. Look at verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord Jehovah is my strength and my song. He also is become my salvation. Now look, notice it doesn't say the Lord will save me. Or the Lord is going to bring me salvation. He says the Lord God is my salvation. Jehovah is become my salvation. Verse 3. Therefore with joy shall ye draw water out of the wells of salvation. And in that day shall ye say, praise the Lord. Call upon his, what? Name. Declare his doings among the people. Make mention that his, what? Name is exalted. He talks about God being his salvation, their salvation. Jehovah, the Lord, being their salvation. And then he talks about in that day, in that day, that kingdom day, when we've drawn water from the well of salvation, we're going to call upon his name. We're going to make mention of his name. 
Now listen, whose name are we talking about? Well, I believe we're talking about salvation. You know the name of Jesus, you know what it means? Salvation. His name is salvation. And so when these, listen, when these Jews were singing this and they're, and they're quoting this, they're saying, behold, God is my Jesus. That's what they're saying. He also has become my Jesus. In their Psalms, in their prophecies, they're calling out upon the one whose name is Jesus. He's become my salvation. They stood there at that, at that uh, feast of, of, of tabernacles. They poured out that water. They talked about the well of water, of salvation. And there he was standing before them. He is the water. He is the way of salvation. His name is salvation. Look at, uh, look at Revelation. Well, no, before we go there, let's go back to John. Let's go back to John. We looked at John 7 where he talks about <clears throat> the water. And we considered the ceremony of the pouring out of water that took place at the Feast of Tabernacles. But the next thing that I want us to see the second ceremony they had was the festival of lights where they would light up the city and try to show that God is light well in John chapter 8 we're still in the same time frame as chapter 7 and in John chapter 8 it says this, then spake Jesus, verse 12, sorry, John 8, verse 12, then spake Jesus again unto them, saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light, the light of life. They're there at that Feast of Tabernacles. And they, listen, as the sun is going down, they're lighting those candles uh, those those, uh, those uh, uh, candlesticks, they're making sure that there's plenty of light for everybody because they want to represent the fact that God is light. Well, Jesus stands there in that Feast of Tabernacles and he says, I am the light of the world. You want light, you've come to the right one. What he's saying is these feasts and all through these feasts are about me. They're about me. You, are you thirsty? Come to Christ. Are you in the dark? Come to Christ. He's the light. He's the water. He's the life. Now look at John or look at Revelation chapter 21. Look at Revelation 21. Get that with, with one hand, and, and you should be able to find that pretty easy. It's at the back of your Bible. Amen? Get Revelation 21. And then I want you to get Nehemiah chapter 8. 
Revelation 21 and Nehemiah chapter 8. And we're going to go to Nehemiah first. There's three main components to the Feast of Tabernacles. Four if you count the sacrifices. You've got the sacrifices, you've got the, the, the pouring out of water, you've got the festival of lights, and then you've got what we read about in Leviticus 23 about dwelling in booths. You remember reading that? Dwell in a booth. Now, what was interesting to me <clears throat> is when I was reading in Nehemiah chapter 8, I saw this. They're gathered together, verse 1, it says, they, All the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. They spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of, the Mo of, of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. So, Ezra brings the book, and he reads, according to verse number 3, he reads from morning until midday. So, yeah, we haven't been here that long, amen? <laughs> we had not had that late of services. So he reads from morning to midday, and he gives the sense of it. Verse number 8, they read in the book, and the law of God distinctly gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. Now look at verse number 14. And they found written in the law which the Lord had commanded by Moses that the children of Israel should dwell in booths in the feast of the seventh month. And that they should publish and proclaim in all their cities and in Jerusalem saying, Go forth unto the mount and fetch olive branches and pine branches and myrtle branches and palm branches and branches of thick trees to make booths as it is written. Now listen, let's stop right here. And think about, when you see palm branches, what do you think about? The triumphal entry of Christ, right? Into Jerusalem. You know what that was a picture of? Christ's second coming. Coming back and setting up his kingdom and dwelling with them. And so this is a picture. It's a picture. This booth is a picture. Now look at verse number 16. So the people went forth and brought them and made themselves booths. Everyone upon the roof of his house and in their courts and in the courts of the house of God and in the street of the water gate and in the street of the gate of Ephraim and all the congregation of them that were come again out of the captivity made booths and sat, down, uh, sat under the booths for since the days of Jeshua the son of Nun unto that day had not the children of Israel done so. I want you to think about this. God had given them the Feast of Tabernacles as a law, something to be observed forever in their generations. Did you notice when we read in Leviticus 23, we were reading about the Feast of Tabernacles? It was kind of in two parts. We read about the Feast of Tabernacles for a while, and then it says also, you need to dwell in booths, you need to make booths. And when I first read this, I thought that, my initial thought is that Israel had not observed the Feast of Tabernacles since the days of Joshua, which would have been about 1,000 years. That means uh, they, 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 they didn't observe it the whole time of the kings or the judges. 
But upon further examination, I found that they had observed the Feast of Tabernacles, but they had left out this part. They'd left out the, 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 uh, the, the building and dwelling in booths. And as a result, it had just it had passed from generation to generation to generation to generation. For a thousand years, they did not observe dwelling in booths. They may have got the other stuff, but they, they left something out. They left something out. What did they leave out? This dwelling in booths. You say, why is it a big deal? I'll tell you why it's a big deal. And, 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 and by the way, it says the end of verse 17, when they did this, look at the last sentence, and there was very great gladness. They found something they were supposed to be doing, and they did it, and there was joy as a result. Right? What was the significance and what was the importance of dwelling in booths? Well, if you go to Revelation 21, when we're looking at the Feast of Tabernacles, we're thinking about the kingdom. When Christ comes back and he sets up his kingdom on this earth. Now, look, look at verse, uh, uh, chapter 21, look at verse 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. And he will dwell with them and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. Now, you know what's going to happen in this kingdom? Verse 6, it says, uh, uh, he said unto me, It is done, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give unto him that is a thirst of the water, of the fountain of the water of life, freely. Feast of Tabernacles, the water, he's still offering it. Right? Look at verse 23. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon, to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it, and the Lamb is the light thereof. Don't need the candlesticks anymore. He's the light. This Feast of Tabernacles is all about Jesus providing to us what we need. He's given us the water, the Spirit of God. He's given us the light, the Word of God. Thy word is a, a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. But it's all about verse number three. All of it's about verse three. The streets of gold, the mansions, the, the new Jerusalem, the new heaven, new earth. It's all about verse three. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men. That's what it's all about. I remember hearing a song years ago. 
Jesus will be what makes it heaven for me. Not the streets of gold, not the mansions, not the gates of pearl. All those things are wonderful. I'm sure we're going to stand around and say, wow, look at this. But you know what? We're going to be looking for Jesus. It's going to be all about dwelling with him. The tabernacle of God is with man. That feast of tabernacle was all about God saying, I want to dwell with you. I want to make my abode with you. That's what Jesus said in John 14. He said, my father and I, we will make our abode with you. He wants to live with us. He wants to dwell in us. He wants to fellowship with us. Now listen, when they observed that Feast of Tabernacles, they had the water going. They had the light going. But they never made a place where they could dwell together with God. They didn't build that booth. You know what the booth was all about? Preparing a place where you're separated from everything and everyone else. And inside that booth, you know who it was? It was them, their family, and God. Now here's what happened. They discarded that. We don't need that. Because we've got all the outward things. We, we've got the festivities going on. We've got the water flowing, and there's great joy, and we've got the lights. And, you know, listen, <clears throat> if you've ever been in a place where there's no electricity, I spent a month in Africa. When the sun goes down, you're done, Right? That would have been what it was like in Israel in those days. But this festival, man, when the sun went down there, they lit all these lamps and these huge, huge lamps would just light up the whole place. That's exciting. I'm not a city person, but uh, it's exciting when you go to a city. Wow, look at the lights. You're flying an airplane, you look down, and you pass over a city at night. It's exciting. Look at the lights. And they, they've got the lights, and they've got the water, and they've got all the outward things going, and people say, hey, we're having the Feast of Tabernacles. You know what they forgot? That little booth. That little place that was prepared for them to meet with God. We got the water flowing, and we got the, we got the banjos going, and we've got this, and we've got that. We've got programs. We've got candy. We've got, we've got our songs. We've got our program. But we have not built a booth to meet with God. You know... They... Had, they'd been so long without making those booths that they didn't even know they were supposed to anymore. It had so left their practice for generations 
that they didn't even know about it. They didn't even know about it. They say, well, how did they find out about it? They got a hunger for the Word of God. And they said, preacher, preach to us the Word of God. Now guess what? They started in the morning, they went to midday. They didn't find it until after that. They didn't get it the first hour. They didn't get it the second hour. They didn't get it the third hour. They got it in the fourth hour. Again, I've said it earlier this week. Again, it bears repeating. We give God a certain amount of time. And we say, you've got to work in this amount of time. We are busy, Lord. We are busy. we got things to do. You know what I found out? Whether we're busy or not, we don't give him time. Some of the busiest people I know spend more time with God than some of the people that aren't busy. They just said, preach to us. He re- and he didn't just read it. He read it distinctly. He gave the sense, and he caused them to understand. You know what that is? That's preaching. That's teaching. And they weren't sitting there saying, oh, man. They were standing. They were standing the whole time because they were hungry to hear from God. And when you get hungry to hear from God, God will show you things that you didn't see before. And it won't be something that's not, it's not in the Bible. It's, it'll be something right in the pages of this book that you've never seen before, and maybe something you just, man, I didn't even know we were supposed to be doing this. You get hungry for God, and you'll find Him in the pages of this book. He'll reveal Himself to you. He'll reveal His will to you. And one of the things He'll tell you is, listen, I need a little booth. I need a little place that's just set aside to meet with me. Just get in that booth. Get in that prayer closet. Get in that spot that that nobody else knows about. And just meet with God there. You say, well, that, that doesn't sound like much fun. You know what they did in that booth for seven days? They rejoiced. Oh, they were filled with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And when they came out to the feast... And they saw that water coming down the steps. Oh, it it meant so much more to them than it did before. When they saw that light shining and the whole city lit up, they understood the meaning of it. It wasn't just great because of the light. It was great because of the meaning. The picture, Jesus Christ is the light of life. He has shined in my heart. He has quenched my thirst. 
You know, they were in there for seven days. That doesn't mean they, 24 hours, seven days, they were, but that's where they stayed. They slept in that booth. They spent time with God in that booth. You know, what's interesting to me, it was a seven-day feast, but it mentions the eighth day. Seven is the number of completion in the Bible. Eight's the number of new beginnings. You know, when I think about that kingdom that God's going to bring to this earth and we're going to rule and reign with Him for a thousand years, we get to the end of that thousand years, it's just the beginning, brother. <laughs> we're going to come out of that kingdom and God says, you ain't saying nothing yet. Then in the ages to come, He'll show us the riches of his glory. You know what it says about the devil when he tempted Jesus? It said, and he, in a moment of time, he showed him all the kingdoms of this world and the glory of them. That's what it says, in a moment of time. But Ephesians tells us that it's going to take the ages to come for God to show us what he has. You know, the devil, the devil can show you all he's got in a moment of time. But what the Lord has prepared for us, eye has not seen, ear has not heard. You say, what are you talking about, preacher? You're talking about all, the, all the, the, the sights and all the wonders and all the riches? No, I'm talking about the heart of God. I'm talking about fellowship. I'm talking about knowing God in a way that we, know, we never knew him before. Because that's what he's wanted all along. He wants you to know him like he knows you. And he knows everything about us. I want to know everything about him. I do. Say, so, well, we're not going to know everything about him this side of heaven. I know I'm not. But I want to learn more than I knew yesterday. You're not going to learn about him at the party, you're going to learn about him in the booth. That's where you're going to learn about him. You say, well, we're keeping the feast, not if you're not building the booth. Oh, we're doing what God tells us to do, not if you're not building the booth. You got a booth? You got a place you meet God? God reveals himself to you? What a place of joy. Heavenly Father, thank you for your desire for us to know you. Thank you for providing a way, a means for us to know you. First and foremost, Lord, through your Son, the Lord Jesus. Keep thinking about Job. He looked for a daysman, somebody to go between him and God. 
I read this morning, Lord, in chapter 33 of Job. Elihu prophesies and says, I stand in the place of God. He goes on to describe the Lord Jesus Christ. We're so thankful that you sent your son down here so that we could know you. In that booth, the last feast, having knowledge of all the feasts that came before it, if they were looking, they'd see Jesus in all of those feasts. By knowing Jesus, we know you. The more we learn about Jesus, the more we learn about your heart. He's the express image of you. He's the brightness of your glory. Thank you for the word of God. It shines upon us. Thank you for the spirit of Christ that dwells within us, leads us into truth and glorifies your Son. And through these means, we can know you better than we've known you before. I pray it be our great desire to know you. That like David, we would be a man after your own heart. People who are after, in pursuit of your heart. To understand your character and your love and your grace, your holiness fills us with joy fills us with awe and wonder that you would love us, that you would care so much about us. Lord, that we could be a blessing to you, that we could, that we could be a, a blessing to your heart, Lord, I'm overwhelmed by that thought. God, I pray that we would be drawn to the booth. We'd get in there with you, spend time with you, fellowship with you, look forward to when we're going to spend eternity, not in part, not through a glass darkly, 
but then face to face. You just can't even imagine how wonderful that's going to be. Fill us with your spirit. Guide us into truth. Lord, may we be vessels that your power can work in and through. That folks would see the the glory of our great God. That we would truly be a city that's set on a hill, letting our light shine, light that cannot be hid. That men may see our good works and glorify our Father, which is in heaven. Lord, do that in us. Send a great revival to us and through us. In Jesus' name I pray. Let's stand together.